0: welcome back to another episode of hello
1: sorry i'm forgetting explain it slowly
0: are you really forgetting
1: no what's the topic (laughs) i'm trying to make a good lead-in
0: oh you have really short-term memories i guess
1: very short term
0: okay uh uh dimitri insists that i ask him a topic that is (laughs) something that he knows it's all technology related so i guess uh, you the, didn't
1: have anything. Don't, don't. I have
0: a list of stuff. But okay, you, then ask you me something specifically, from the list. You specifically wanted to After you
1: specifically asked, I have nothing to ask. Let me. <laughs> what should I ask you?
0: No, you, you're very picky, even though you're not supposed to know what I'm asking.
1: Okay, then pick me something else. It's not what I think you're going to ask
0: me. Okay. Well, the question today is <laughs> how does memory work on a computer? <laughs> <laughs> Is it the same as your brain?
1: No, it's not at all the same as your brain. Uh, So there are a lot of different aspects to memory. Uh, Let's start with uh, what a computer needs memory for, okay? Uh, The first thing that's in memory is the program. The program is going to say, hey, first we want to add 2 to our number. Next, we want to move that result into over here. So that way we can now add three to a number, and then we're going to move that result over there, and then we're going to take those two results and combine them together. Does that make sense? Right. Okay, so that's what a computer is doing like in the background as you're writing fancy code with four loops and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, it's all a bunch of like those kinds of small instructions, and that's something called assembly. Now, the over there in my example, that's a place in memory. Um and the computer needs the memory to be able to store intermediate results and final results to show to the user eventually. Does that makes sense, yeah, okay, so um one use of the memory is going to be for storing the actual program, so. If where you store your program is actually important because the CPU, the thing that does the compute, the computation, yeah, has a built-in start pointer that's going to point to a specific address in memory. It's going to say, okay, this is the first instruction I'm going to run, and then it's going to go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that point forward, your code is free to say, hey, jump to this part and continue running code from there, and then jump to that part, and so on and so forth. So every time you have like an if statement and you have an if and an else, the, compu- the computer, when that can- gets compiled, your code is essentially going to be like, if that statement is true, jump to here. Mm-hmm. If it's not true, then it's just going to continue and do the else. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, And then in the if part where it jumps somewhere, after it finishes that, it's going to jump back to the end of the else and continue your code. Right. Okay, so that's what the compiler is doing when it tra- like computes your code. It's going to do... Uh, that and your code lives in memory. Now, other stuff that lives in memory are the results of your computation. So uh, as you're adding up uh, stuff, or like in the last episode we were talking about Bitcoin, you have that hashing algorithm, really complicated, lots of additions and subtractions and multiplications to combine these values. You're going to store that result in a certain part of memory. You're going to say, hey, store it at address 205. Uh, Completely arbitrary, Uh, the compiler will generally pick for you, but in older computers, you would pick as the programmer. You'd say, 205 is clear, let's use that for a result. So that's another use of memory. Now, as you jump around in your code, and you say, hey, I want to jump to this part over here, sometimes you want it to be more or less automatic, so that way the code that you jump to can jump back to where you were, When it's done. So, when you call a function, for instance, you say, Hey, I want to call the function that's called do something or hash algorithm. So, you want to jump to that part of the code, let that function finish, and then jump back to your code so that way you can continue doing what you're doing, right? So, in order to remember where you were, you need to store that position in memory somewhere and say, Hey, When the other function is done, it can look up that position and say, oh, I need to jump back here to kind of continue on. Does that make sense?
0: Mm.
1: Now, if that function also needs to jump to another function, you can see that this is going to start to become a problem. You can't just have one part of memory that's going to be like, where to jump back? Because if you have three functions that are kind of nested into each other, you want them to be able to individually jump back to their originating function and not just like that one result that's there. So you have something called the stack, which you stack on addresses of where you previously were. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the stack is also conveniently where you can put local variables. Like you, if you're computing something and you need a var A and a var B kind of thing, you would put A and B on your stack where it currently is. And then once you're done, you will kind of pop the stack and see okay where do i go back to and you'll go back somewhere else and then they can have their variables on there and so on and so forth
0: so so as you're doing all of this storing things temporarily in the in memory Mm -hmm. those those places get relinquished once you're done right once you finish computing what you need to do you get that space back right
1: yeah so that's what the stack does is it kind of maintains that for you okay so as you're kind of doing work you are manipulating something called the stack pointer, which is built into the CPU. And the stack pointer just remembers where we are on the stack. The stack is just a piece of memory. Yeah. Um, and it's going to say, okay, we are here on the stack. So if you want to store a variable, you add it to the stack, you store it there, and you tell the stack pointer, hey, go go up one. And when you're done with your function, you're going to say, okay, we're done with that variable stack pointer. You can go down one. And then you can say, hey, CPU jump to the previous subroutine the previous function basically and the cpu is going to look at the stack pointer and say hey i want to jump to this address which is going to be for the other function and then once that goes back down the other function still has its variables there that it saved before calling your function and it could continue doing something
0: is it always being like in the is this is it always like
1: in one direction kind of thing?
0: Yeah, or is it just randomly wherever there's space?
1: No, so it's always uh it's always building up from a central point. So that's where the stack starts basically. The stack has a starting point and then it builds up from there. And every address that comes after that point is being used like one at a time. Okay um now this stack can get corrupted or it can overflow like our favorite website stack overflow Overflow. is when the stack pointer basically reaches the end it loops back over the beginning
0: and then it replaces what's currently it starts
1: replacing which is fine until you need to like go back yeah like as you go back further and further then all of a sudden things aren't what they used to be Okay, and that's where you run into bugs. So,
0: how do you how do you get to the point where you're you're overflowing?
1: So, a stack has a size. On really old computers, it was like two hundred fifty six or even less, like thirty two, uh-huh. like really really tiny. Uh, so, you can do one or two functions, but don't do more than that, basically. Um, whereas modern computers have really large stacks, like several kilobytes, thousands of bytes. Uh-huh. Um, so, there's plenty of room on there to do like lots of stuff.
0: So, is it a matter of just doing too many things at once that you run out of stacks or is it a a matter of you're not giving it enough time to clear out space
1: neither so uh think of it this way if you have a function that calls another function that's fine because it'll go back to the original one yeah if you have a function that calls itself Uh, and then it calls itself and then it calls itself you're adding to the stack every time yeah so if he keeps doing this forever Uh Like you're stuck in an infinite loop. Yeah. Then what's going to happen is that stack is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And it's never going to shrink back because the final function that you call, it's not like it's going to finish and then unwind itself back down. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. Um, Modern computers have um, what's called a trap for this. Basically, it will detect when this happens and it goes out of control and it'll say like, hey, this this app crashed.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, It crashed because we've detected... That it would have done something wrong otherwise, so we stopped it here because it could have just like rewind the stack back over itself, and that would cause lots of problems, like you would lose data and stuff like this where at or not necessarily lose data, but modify data in a way that you weren't expecting, mm-hmm. which is the worst, yeah, losing is one thing, but overriding and making perfectly good data bad now is Mm -hmm. a completely different problem that you never want to get into okay so modern computers will kind of just like put a stop to it once the stack is overflowing um and it will stop it there okay so that's another use of memory um and that's each of these different things are at specific addresses so like the code portion is going to be at one address the stack is going to be at a separate address that's, like, really far from your code, basically. So it will never kind of... You'll never accidentally jump to the stack and say, like, hey, run the code that's on the stack. Because there's no code on the stack. It's just data. It's variables. Um, And if you were to interpret the stack as code, it would be like, oh, this variable is 53. 53 means add. So I'm going to add the next thing that's there and cause all sorts of chaos, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the same memory that you're using. Uh, so the, modern computers, they, they take a lot of care to separate these things out and say like, Hey, the stack is not executable. We're not going to ever run code there. So if we accidentally end up there crash, uh, meanwhile, the code part is not writable.
0: As a user, are you ever, how, as a
1: user, you don't think of this when you double click an application.
0: No, no, no. But what I'm saying as a user, are you ever accidentally putting code to run on the stack? No,
1: no, generally never. Uh but as a programmer you might like have an off by one error and instead of writing to the part that you thought you were writing to you're now writing to the stack it's just a memory address you know Okay So all sorts of bad things can happen by accident um or So when you, when an you exploit. do
0: cuz you said your stack is used to hold variables so just specific data but if you have like a variable that you go let sum equals 2 plus 2, isn't that doing that calculation on that variable?
1: No, so we like to think of it that way because in the programming languages, we just write our equation, right? Yeah. Okay, what a program is going to do, or what like the assembly in a, for a compiler is going to do, is it's going to say, first, we want to put 2 in a register
0: uh-huh.
1: on the CPU. So the CPU can only do math on registers. So 2 is now in the CPU. Then it's going to say, okay, we're going to take 2 again, and we're going to add it to whatever is in the register Uh, so now there's four in the register then we're going to take on
0: the same register are there multiple registers
1: nowadays there are there didn't used to be so there used to be the a register Uh and the i register or the x register and that was it you had two (laughs) so you have to be very very creative load in the register remove from the register load something else remove and so so now
0: now it's just using the next one available so it's not even replacing the first one there
1: uh so if you're doing math you need to like that's how you do math you load it into register and then you add to it yeah. or you subtract from it or you multiply it. Okay. Um so then once you have 4 in the register the next instruction is going to say okay take 4 and put it at a memory address whether it's on the stack or whether it's somewhere in memory like it's going to say put register here. That's okay. all the the instruction is going to be. And that's your let sum equals 2 plus 2. Okay. So it it really is going to pull some mental gymnastics to transform your code, which makes sense into a bunch of very discrete instructions, one after another, that's ultimately going to do what you want, but in a very different way, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, So as I said, you have discrete portions of memory. You have your code, you have the stack, and you have the rest, right? Now, the rest is often used uh, to store all sorts of things, Namely, whenever you create like an object, like a class or a view or anything like that, to save the memory for that, it's going to go into a place called the heap. And the heap is a different portion of memory that builds up in the other direction from the stack, basically. It's far away. They're not meant to collide, and they can collide if you run out, but generally we don't run out of memory anymore. It detects that and says puts a stop to it first. Um, but it will go ahead and ask um another function basically that's keeping track of all this it's gonna say hey i need 10 bytes and that function is gonna be like okay let me see where 10 bytes is available okay 10 bytes is available here here's an address don't use more than 10 bytes because if you use more than 10 bytes it's gonna eat up into the next object that is on there Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's an easy way to corrupt your own memory basically um on older computers your program is using the same memory that every other program is doing. So if your program like there's a bug in it and it like skips past your object and starts writing into another one Uh you might be corrupting your program or you might be corrupting another program or you might be corrupting the operating system. At which point sometimes the operating system detects this and says your system has crashed. So if one thing crashes the whole thing crashes. There's no saving it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Modern computers they separate every program. They say hey, your program, you have this memory and you it's impossible for you to write to a different memory address that's not within this range. And another program will be given the same exact addresses, basically, but those addresses will map to a different portion of the actual memory. And there's a special chip on the motherboard called a memory controller, which will basically decide, it will the CPU will say, hey, we have program... Uh, 17,522 that wants to do this thing with memory and the memory controller will be like okay let me get their version of it and it will give it back so everything is like very well separated nowadays mm. it's still possible for things to breach um, but it has to be done by code that has access to multiple regions at the same time mm-hmm. so that's often why uh, you see of like exploits that happen of like hacks and stuff Uh, where it's using a component of the system to kind of break everything, because that system component has more visibility than an individual app typically does. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we covered most of the uses of memory, and there's one more use of memory, um, and that is communication with hardware devices. So for instance, um, the screen has a dedicated part of memory that will represent the pixels that are on the screen, for instance. Mm. Or if you have a printer, the printer will kind of be connected to a dedicated part of memory and you can write things to that memory and the printer will detect that and it will go ahead and print the instructions that you're writing there, basically. That's not really how modern computers work anymore, but it's basically how the whole system is set up. Um, So if you're like wiring a computer from scratch you're going to dedicate a few memory addresses for the screen a few other memory addresses for the speaker a few other memory addresses for the controller or your mouse or your keyboard and anytime you mess with anything like if i press the a all it's going to do is set that memory address to be a value of 10 for instance for the a and a value of 100 for the b So if I do A and B, it's going to be 110. Does that make sense? Like I'll combine them. Mm. Um, And that will just update some piece of memory. And then your program, all it needs to do is read that memory and say, oh, the user has A and B pressed because it read that piece of memory. Does that make sense?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So the memory controller is also involved with hooking all that up. Um, So that way it's all being used together. So that's how memory works.
0: Cool. I actually remember a lot of what you just said it's a it's a i guess it's a review Mm -hmm. because as you're explaining i was like i remember learning that i just forgot Mm -hmm. but i remember
1: yeah it's it's yeah it's not something that we discuss all that much when you're like doing app development for instance because Mm -hmm. like you don't need to worry about memory nowadays um for the most part not with what we're doing we're not writing fancy algorithms we're putting like fancy rectangles on screen Mm -hmm. uh and coloring them
0: Um, A little bit of story time. mm -hmm. Uh, Recently, I've been having a lot of memory leaks on my M1 computer, Uh and you keep saying it's because I write bad code (laughs) that I'm getting memory leaks Uh to the point where I have to restart my computer because nothing is running anymore. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) So you want me to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. Why
0: am I writing bad code?
1: Okay. So... uh, (laughs) Let's let's back up a little. So Xcode is a piece of software that allows you to write code. It will go ahead and as you type, it's going to compile your code. Yeah. So that way it can put syntax highlighting. So that way your variables are colored differently from your functions and all that. Make it easier to see. Yeah. Uh, basically. Uh, it's also going to be running diagnostics and say, hey, you have a compiler error here. Or you have a compiler error there. Um, and every now and then uh, it freaks out. Because what you've written is not valid code yet. Like, you're getting to valid code. But you've written code that is so bad <laughs> that the Swift compiler in the background is like, okay, I'm going to tell the user they have a compiler error here. And then they glitch. And the are like, compiler, 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 <laughs> compiler. And they start eating more and more memory. And that memory starts ballooning out of control. Uh, and that's the memory leak that you were talking about so basically you can watch an activity monitor as the swifts compiler uses 5 10 12 15 17 22 27 37 64 56 80 gigabytes all of a <laughs> sudden like you you watch the number go up and 80 gigabytes is a lot of stuff right um so that's basically the compiler like short circuiting and it's just doing the, the same thing over and over and over so again so it's
0: not my fault It's not that I'm writing bad code. It's just the computer is too far ahead of me before I could finish writing. (laughs) Possibly.
1: Now, I don't know why, but when I write code, maybe I'm faster at, like, completing the (laughs) thought, uh, and it never gets to that point where it just, like, short circuits and freaks out. Maybe you spilled hypothetical water on it, and, like, it's really not happy in that situation.
0: Wasn't that a problem at one point where a lot of people were having memory leaks? Like... One time, all I did was open the mail app on the computer, and then all of a sudden, memory leak galore. And then it's like, stop.
1: Okay, so that's a separate problem in the mail app that they had a memory leak. So basically, yeah. as they were loading messages um, or doing something, it was not freeing up the memory. Uh-huh. Um, or there was another one in the previous version of the OS that just got fixed, where if you had a colored cursor, so you can now go into System Preferences on the Mac uh accessibility displays uh and then cursor i think that's the sequence that you need to do i don't know why i memorize these things or pointer uh cursor cursor pointer i don't know uh but you can change the color of it and you can have like an orange or pink cursor like how cool is that uh so we both did that and you might notice uh that the apps that you're using a lot they're using like a strangely large amount of memory and if you take your pointer and you were to, like, hover on and off of a text area where it would turn from an arrow pointer to uh, an I-beam, it's called, like, to select text. As it changed back and forth, you could watch the memory go up by a few megabytes every single time. Basically, one image worth of cursor. Um, and as this would accumulate, your your app would use a few extra megabytes, and it would never free it up. Um, and whenever you have those kinds of problems, it's always in the heap. So do you remember in the heap I said you ask something and it will say, hey, let me go through my index and see, okay, your 10 bytes that you need, they're available right here. Um, You eventually need to tell the system, hey, I'm done with those 10 bytes. Something else can use it now. If you just hold on to that and never say free, so never relinquish that, then you will go ahead and use more and more memory in the heap that will never be accessed again. It's kind of like there. Um, And for the most part, the operating system does a fairly good job of just ignoring this. Like if you don't need to access the memory, it's never going to pull it up, but it does need to store it somewhere. Um, So it ends up storing it on your hard drive um, or it ends up eating more resources to compress or decompress it. Like all sorts of problems can happen as a result of that.
0: I think the problem I had the most was when I have xcode open running the canvas running Mm -hmm. the preview canvas and then having sketch open as well which is a a graphics designing tool so i think it has nothing to do with
1: sketch and all to do with the canvas so basically the canvas what's doing every time you type something yeah it recompiles all your code faster than you type the next thing um and if that compiles well, everything works fine. Yeah. But if it does not compile well, stuck. then it gets stuck. And then as you try to type the next character code, which may fix it, it's still stuck on the bad thing. Like, trying to figure itself out.
0: So it's not the bad code, okay? <laughs> well,
1: you didn't type fast enough. So, uh, for all the, the slack I give you about that, like, it's really not your fault. Like, it's up to the developers of Xcode to not write bad code (laughs) because it's their code that's crashing eventually yeah um but they may not have uh taken your considerations in mind where you don't necessarily know exactly what code you're kind of going after Mm -hmm. so you might end up writing like code in an order that is not what a typical developer might have written because mm. as someone with less experience, you don't have the the final solution in your head, right? yeah, um, so that might have caused problems with the way that they decided to compile the code and and ca- like cause those issues, so yeah, memory leaks bad <laughs> uh, and it's all because of that heap, that which heap. is a region of memory that your code can just write to cool.
0: Well, that's fascinating stuff.
1: And that's a nice thing about Swift is Swift tries tremendously hard to prevent you from doing the wrong thing. So if you ask Swift, hey, I need 10 bytes for my struct. It's impossible for you in safe conditions to write more than 10 bytes to like overstep those bounds. Right. Um, Unless you use something called an unsafe method. It's basically a red warning sign saying you are doing something that's not safe, like, make sure you do it correctly. And when you have those warning signs, people tend to take them more seriously. Whereas in C, you can ask for 10 bytes and then forget that you only asked for 10 bytes and use a little bit more. You will never know that you cause a problem until you use the next, like, region of memory. uh, And then that will become Mm -hmm. the issue, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe you didn't have a problem ever because you only used 12 bytes and everything was aligned to 16. So the next region that it gave out was after 16 from your 10. So you were only using 12, but then you recompile your app and it does things slightly differently. So, and now it's now it's overlapping in a wrong way. So all sorts of weird problems can come up that way.
0: So is it the way it prevents you from like using more than what you ask for is it because in mostly swift is what a struct right you
1: it's not because swift it, it's is not changeable
0: structs. like you, whatever you create is that so there's never a chance for you to use more than what you create right
1: kind of so basically because you have you're using let for instance which makes it not changeable then the compiler will make sure you never write any code
0: That is changeable. That
1: writes to it. Uh Uh-huh. So those kind of guarantees. Or if you have an array with 17 things, the compiler and the runtime will make sure if you ask for the index 18, you'll never get to index 18. It's going to prevent you from doing that. Um, And oftentimes the compiler can tell you, hey, you're doing this wrong. So before your app even runs, it can make those verifications, which means that once the compiler can verify everything is good, it can make your code really fast because it can say, hey... We don't need a check because we already checked that that scenario is impossible. So the code can be really fast and there's no checks like in the code anymore. It can just go ahead and do it because there's no way this can go wrong. So you're saying
0: in other languages, if you have, if you ask for the index 18, but there's only 17, like it'll still let you ask for that, even though there's nothing there.
1: So in C, for instance... It will totally let you do that because all an array is is a memory address plus your index. So so you need to remember... It
0: doesn't know how many things are in there.
1: It doesn't even check.
0: It doesn't care? It's just
1: taking your your memory address for the start of the array, Um, adding your index, and now you have a new memory address. It doesn't even know it's an array. Does uh, that make sense? uh, Really stupid uh, type of technology. Um, But what that means is things are fast. What it also means is that you can really mess things up if you're not careful. Because uh. if you forget that you only made an array that has 20 things in it and you didn't make a brand new array when you needed to add the 21st thing, then things kind of just fall apart. Uh. It might seem like a silly example of something that can go wrong, but that's basically how every memory exploit like works, is because someone messed up there.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: So, thanks for asking me about memory.
0: Thanks for insisting that I asked you about <laughs> computer-related Yay. things. Okay. That's it. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please be
1: sure to follow us at L-I-N-H-A-N-D-D-I-M-I-C-H-A-N on Twitter. Lin and Dimi chan
0: Yeah. Because
1: we're cute. Because
0: we're cute. <laughs> <laughs> Who calls himself yeah. cute and-, and to the public?
1: We need more followers
0: yeah but you don't call yourself cute to other people you you keep it internal (laughs) i keep it
1: internal because lynn is cute that's why i called it that you see sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) bye